energy. So the barber trims my beard all nice, like an artist. Now I didn't tell him to do that. I wanted the beard gone. So then I went home and shaved it off completely after I was done. I felt horrible. The passion. Rafael Devers is the biggest contract in franchise history. He needs to be a leader for this Red Sox team. The opinions on all your favorite team. Are the Patriots close to playoff contention? Yes. Are they close to Super Bowl contention? Hell no. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Monday to you here on the Brady Farkas Show, brought to you by Fecto Homes on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. A weird day here for us just at the station in that, you know, game was supposed to start at 11 o'clock, 11.10. Supposed to then have the getaway with Greg Hooker. Greg's here waiting, waiting, waiting to play music after the game ends, and then we get rain delays, and Greg just leaves at 4 o'clock like, well, nothing for me to do today, I guess. So, And then as a result, we don't start the afternoon news service to like 4.50. Just a weird day. So we're back on schedule now. Red Sox lose. It's okay. They do get a good series victory over the Angels, but would have been nice to have today's win, and that's a game that they could have had, but they lose to the Angels by a score of 5-4. to four. We'll have the highlights for you in about 15 minutes. We do have a ton to get to, though, on this Monday. We'll talk about the Celtics and their Game 1 win over Atlanta. We'll get you ready for the Bruins. Yes, I'll talk hockey. It is the playoffs, I promised you. Bruins and Panthers today. Will Patrice Bergeron play? We'll give you the update on that. Some info on UVM men's basketball, and Aaron Deloney's going to stop by to talk about his decision to come back to Catamount Country next year for a fifth year. So Emma Utterback, Delaney Richardson back on the women's side, Aaron Deloney back on the men's side. So if you're in favor of your Catamount stars staying together next year, well, you've done pretty well this offseason. So Deloney with us at about 610. You can get in on the text line, 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. You can watch us live on YouTube. You can also stream us on my Twitter account or on Facebook Live as well. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts in the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They are online at Sticks and Stuff. Dot com. So game one on Saturday, Celtics roll the Hawks. Final score of that one was 112-99. to Celtics only won by 13, but heck, they were up 30 at the half. It got a little bit squirrely third quarter into the fourth quarter. It got a little bit squirrely. I'm not crazy about how the Celtics let Atlanta back into the game and let them off the hook and gave them a chance to get some confidence going into game two, but mostly it was a clear and mostly it was a decisive victory for the Celtics who started their quest to get back to the NBA Finals off on the right note. And look, Saturday's game just really proved what I said last week. Atlanta isn't as good as them. I'm not a believer in Trey Young. And that's really as far as this goes for me. The Celtics are going to win this series. I think they're going to win in five. Because Atlanta has one quote star player. And... Their one star isn't as good as your two. And it's that simple, really. The Celtics are just a better team. The Celtics are a deeper team. The Celtics are a more physical team. And all the things that you would want the Celtics to do, essentially they did. And all the things that Atlanta would need to do, they didn't do on Saturday. 
I mean, the Celtics clearly have the ability to blow Atlanta out. The Hawks can do some nice things, but the Celtics can also suppress those things enough to get victories and, like Saturday, can totally dominate as well. I I just I don't think that Atlanta can win with as a team, as an organization, with Trey Young being their total focal point. Right? He's too small. The Celtics are too physical defensively. They can take turns on him. They're versatile. They can rough him up. They can tire him out. They can frustrate him. And that's exactly what happened on Saturday. Trey Young on Saturday had just 16 points. He shot 28% from the floor. Right? When guarded by Marcus Smart, Trey Young was 2 of 6. When guarded by Derek White, Trey Young was 2 of 7. They effectively took him out of the game, and Atlanta left him on the bench most of the fourth quarter, and heck, a lot of their effectiveness in the fourth quarter came with Trey Young on the bench. That tells you everything you need to know. If you are a seven seed and you're looking to win a game on the road at the number two seed, your star is going to have to go crazy, and Trey Young didn't do that. right? He didn't go for 35. He didn't go for 42. If Trey Young was going to go for 42, then Atlanta would have a chance to win that game. He goes for 16. As a result, they have no chance. Look, I've said Trey Young's too small. Well, all weekend we saw small, thin guards play well, right? De'Aaron Fox played well. Steph Curry played well. Guards can win in the playoffs. That was proven this weekend. Trey Young couldn't. The Celtics are too good defensively, and they are too physical, and they were able to take him out of the game. The Celtics dominated the perimeter portion of this game. Again, if Atlanta's going to win, I always talk come March Madness about how UVM can pull an upset. It usually involves, in fact, it always involves, oh, if they shoot great from three. Like, that's the great equalizer. If you're going to shoot great from three as an underdog, you got a good chance to win a game. Atlanta didn't do that. Celtics dominated this game from a perimeter standpoint. Led by Trey Young, this Hawks team is supposed to be a team that can light it up from deep. They went 5 of 29 from 3. 5 of 29. Young was 1 of 5. Bogdanovich was 2 and 7. 2 of 7. DeJounte Murray was 0 of 6. Celtics hit 13 threes in all. They hit 5. Celtics outscored Atlanta by 24 points beyond the arc. And that right there, you're going to win. Most games when you do that. If Atlanta had hit 13 threes and the Celtics five, then Atlanta would have had a good chance to win. But the Celtics dominated this game from a perimeter standpoint, and Atlanta couldn't rebound from it. Speaking of rebounding, the glass was supposed to be something we were worried about. Atlanta top two in the league since Quinn Snyder took over in offensive rebounding rate. Celtics out-rebounded Atlanta in total by 13 points. Or by 13 boards. It's a good way to win games. So now you start thinking about all the different pathways that maybe Atlanta would have to win this game, and the Celtics closed them off. Could Atlanta win this game by out-shooting the Celtics? That was cut off. Could Atlanta win this game by having their star outperform your stars? That was cut off. Could Atlanta win this game by dominating the glass? That was cut off. Atlanta had 14 offensive rebounds. That's too many. It's more than the Celtics got. But by, but all in all, 
The Celtics out-rebounded Atlanta by 13. 58 rebounds for the Celtics, 45 for the Hawks, and there you go. Jalen Brown said this was a focus for us, and they succeeded at it. Rebound is key to the series, so that's been a point of emphasis for us in every practice. Try to keep those guys off the glass. Um, they're young, they're athletic, and they crash hard. Um, and that's going to continue to be our challenge during this series is just keeping those guys off the glass, which is tough. You know, they got some great rebounders on their team. Celtics also had five players in double figures. Now, Atlanta had five players in double, double figures as well, but the Celtics' five players in double figures was far more dominant than Atlanta's. Celtics had three players get 24 points or more, right? Jalen Brown, 29, I think. Jason Tatum, 25. Derek White, 24. Three Celtics players get 24 or more. Only one Hawks player had more than 16. Everywhere you turn, the Celtics were dominating here. Everywhere you turn, the Celtics were dominating. Were dominant. Peter and Williston says... Um, Celtics got disinterested, are going to be ready to make it 2-0 going into Atlanta. I agree. Atlanta management may have made a series of uh, blunders because of the news they're open to trading Trey Young, and he's a younger player who's effect that could affect his psyche. Maybe he's already checked out. Um, I, I don't know about that, but I, I think I think Atlanta is right to try to trade Trey Young. You know who I, you know what I see Trey Young as. I see Trey Young as a smaller, thinner version of James Harden and therefore not as good. And we saw how that worked out. I don't know if that's a perfect comparison, but that's kind of who I see Trey Young as. A smaller, thinner, not as good version of James Harden. And James Harden in Houston, I actually think was a pretty good soldier until the end. He blew up the franchise at the end, but he was there for a while, right? And he seemed to play pretty well with Chris Paul and, you know, seemed to play, you know, I think he even was fine with Westbrook, as I recall, but I have to check my timeline on everything there. But, like, by and large, James Harden was was good in Houston. They just couldn't get over the hump. I don't even think Trey Young is that good. I don't think that Trey Young is that guy. I think he's a guy who's more likely to get hurt because he's small. I think he's a guy that isn't as prolific a scorer as James Harden because he doesn't get to the line like James Harden can. And I just think that, you know, we saw how this has gone career-wise for James Harden. He's better as a number two, right? Or at this point in his career, he's certainly better as a number two. Yeah, Chris Paul was in Houston for two years. I, I thought maybe it was... A little bit more than that. But James Harden seemed to be fine with him. I mean, Harden is better as a two with Embiid, right? And I think at some point, Trey Young's going to be better as a number two as well. I'd be more than willing to trade Trey Young. The question is, is I don't know who exactly is going to want him because I think they're going to see what I'm seeing. They're going to want him to be a two, and I don't know that Trey Young's going to want to be a two. I don't think he sees himself as a two. I think he sees himself as a one. I think where Atlanta's kicking themselves is that, as if I'm remembering correctly, they drafted Luka number four and then traded him to Dallas for Trey Young. That's where they're going to be kicking themselves, is that they had Luka. 
They had him on their roster, and they got rid of him for Trey Young. And that, to me, was the wrong choice. Uh, weird weekend in general, by the way, in the NBA playoffs. Obviously, injuries were a huge part of this weekend. We saw a lot of lower seeds winning this. Eight-seeded Miami beats Milwaukee. Wonder how Giannis is. Seven-seeded Lakers beat Second-seeded Grizzlies looks like it might be pretty serious for John Morant. Don't know if he'll play in game two. We saw the Knicks go on the road and win. They tried to blow it, but we saw them beat the Cavs. We saw the fifth-seeded Clippers beat the Suns. That was a surprise to me. Clippers playing without Paul George go on the road, beat Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and Durant. You talk about pressure. We talked about the pressure on guys into into these playoffs. To me, the Suns have a lot of pressure. Chris Paul has a lot of pressure. Devin Booker has a lot of pressure. DeAndre Ayton has a lot of pressure. And they didn't they they did not live up to it coming up uh, uh last night. Late last night they did not live up to it. It was just a weird first round of the playoffs here. I can't wait for tonight's game between the Kings and the Warriors. I think that is a great series. I thought Sacramento showed tremendous poise to come back from 10 down in the third quarter and win that game. Malik Monk was awesome. De'Aaron Fox was awesome. Look, Herder played terrible for Sacramento. Sabonis shot terribly for Sacramento. So if those guys can play well, you would think the Kings have a better chance tonight at winning game two. Now, if Sabonis is going to play better and Herder's going to play better, Malik Monk's not going to get 30. It's just That's just... That's just the way it's going to be, right? If those guys are – he stepped up because those guys didn't. If those guys step up, his numbers will take a back seat. But to know that you have three guys that are capable of getting 30 for you if you're Sacramento, that's a good team. That's a fun team. And they had a good win, very good win against the defending champs. We'll see what happens tonight in game two. Uh, Texter says – Kings take game one. That was great. Says, I'd rather have Harden in his prime than Trey Young. Trey is a number two and always has been, which makes the Luka trade look that much worse. Texter says, bad blood with Trey Young, Brady. Look at his career numbers. What are you talking about? A little. A little. And I'm not afraid to admit it. Okay? Kevin Herter went to my high school. That's why I like the Kings. Kevin Herter was teammates with my brother. So I have a little bit of hometown pride in him. And the story is that Trey Young ran him out of town, forced him to get traded to Sacramento. And also, Trey Young ran their head coach, Nate McMillan, out of town. And I like Nate McMillan because he's Mr. Sonic, and I was a Sonics fan growing up. So, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Trey Young, but I'm also not a huge fan of the way that Trey Young plays. Right? I watched a ton of Hawks games over the last couple of years because of Kevin Herter. I saw Trey Young play as many games as I saw the Celtics play in the last three years practically. I'm just not a fan of the way he plays. Now, I understand he gets 10 assists a game, so I can't just say that he's a ball hawk. But in the NBA, with how easy it is to score now and how good offensive players are, it's now easy to get assists. 10 is still impressive. I'm not saying he never passes, but to see guys... To see a guy pull up from seven feet behind the line and do it consistently where the ball just stops, that was the knock on Carmelo. That was the knock on James Harden. And what have we said forever? That Carmelo and James Harden were not winning players. And they weren't winning players until they became supporting role guys. And you couldn't win with them as the face of your franchise. And that, to me, is who Trey Young is. Except he's a smaller version of James Harden and a smaller version of Carmelo. So, yes... I do have, I guess, some uh, 
bad blood with Trey Young for a guy that I don't know. I don't particularly like him, no. But I don't like the way he plays. And we've seen guys that play this way that are ball-dominant guys where the ball just stops. We've seen these guys and criticized these guys forever. Right? Ever since I got into this business, we've been criticizing guys that play just this way. And that's how Trey plays. And if he was a number two and was a willing number two, then I'd feel a lot different about him. But he wants to be the face. He wants to be a max contract guy. He wants to be seen as a top 10 player in the league. And I don't think he is. Individually, as a scorer, he's very good. But I don't think he makes guys around him better. You look at that team. Clint Capella is an all-star caliber player as a big guy. And I know big guys are, you know, not really with it anymore in the NBA. He's an all-star caliber player. Blocks shots, defends the paint, can score offensively. Bogdanovich is an excellent shooter. This team let Gallinari go, traded Herder, got rid of a lot of shooting surrounding Trey Young. They they made this team for him. And they went 41-41. and 41. Very, very average. And that's who he's going to continue to be, and that's why they're open to trading him. So, Mark, you can look at the numbers all you want. I'm, I'm telling you what my eyes tell me and what my history of watching basketball tells me. Right? Tracy McGrady, we said, wasn't a winning player. We said that Harden wasn't a winning player. We said Carmelo wasn't a winning player. That, to me, is who Trey Young is, but smaller Weaker, more likely to get hurt. Heck, a lot of people didn't think Allen Iverson was a winning player. And Iverson was tough as nails. And Iverson was incredible. Trey Young's not as good as Iverson. That's just how I feel. And my eyes tell me that I'm right on that. It's the Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Fecto Homes on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox lose today. Score was 5-4. to four. We'll play you back the highlights, tell you how it happened, and tell you a couple takeaways on Brian Bayo. We'll do it next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Texter wants to know when I'll talk about the Bruins. About 6.30. I told you, I promised you, playoff time. We'd be talking hockey. We will be. Bruins, Panthers tonight at 7.30, so we'll get you ready for that about an hour beforehand, about 6.30. I need a little help from somebody. Peter in Williston usually is listening on the video stream. I need to know how the audio sounds on the video stream because I just went and I got a complaint that the audio wasn't working I went and listened to commercial. It was working, but that's only commercial, right? I don't know how I sound. So if someone can tell me how I sound on Facebook Live on WDEV, I would much appreciate that. Thank you for anyone who's willing to help. Multiple people say Brady didn't know about the Kevin Herter connection. That's pretty fun. Another texter says that's a cool anecdote. Yeah, Kevin Herter went to my high school, um, played at my high school, younger than me, obviously. My brother is six years younger than me. Kevin is... A year under him, I believe, maybe two years younger than him. My, my brother was a 10th grader on JV. Kevin was an 8th grader on JV. Yeah, that's right. My brother then varsity two years. Kevin was on varsity as a freshman, as a sophomore. My brother and him started together for multiple seasons on the varsity team there. 
They used to live down the street from us, actually. So I think I've driven Kevin Herter to practices in my car. So, yeah, I'm invested in what Kevin Herter does. I was invested in the Atlanta Hawks and therefore invested, uh, you know, in what Trey Young was doing and wasn't doing enough. Texter says the audio sounds good on Facebook Live. Thank you very much. That is uh, my guy, Peter. Always down to listen there. So much appreciated. Uh, all right. Red Sox lose today. Final score. Of this one was five to four. All, all in all, it's a very good series for the Red Sox. Sox with the loss now are eight and nine on the season. But again, they took three of four from the Angels. I can't be too mad about it. And this was a weird game in general, right? We're playing this game. We got an hour, about an hour rain delay to start. Rain's coming down. It's slippery. It's wet. It's raw. It's cold. Then we play three innings or two and a third innings. And then we come back out and we have another rain delay for about an hour or so. Just a weird game in general. Well, it was a winnable game for the Red Sox. They they could have won this game, but ultimately didn't. Brian Bayo started it. His first start back did not go well. Two and two-thirds, eight hits, five earned runs, one walk, five strikeouts. The big blow in this one was the Hunter Renfro three-run homer in the top of the first. Pitch is swung, and there's a high fly to left field, deep, back by the wall, and it is gone. Three-run homer, Hunter Renfro, just like that, the Angels have the early lead. Of course, they led 4-0 Saturday with first inning grand slam by Urshela. The Red Sox came back to win, but they didn't have Otani pitching on Saturday. That was a high Fenway fly, made the second row of the monster seats. Yep, so it was 3-0 there. The Angels got a 4-0 lead in the first inning. Sox got one back uh, off of Otani in the bottom of the first. Then that made it 4-1. Angels had a 5-1 lead. And then the Sox started to come back a little bit. Rob Refsnyder uh, scored here on a Kike Hernandez sack fly. He's got second and third with one down. See if they can get him home here. The pitch to Kike. Swing and a high fly into right field. Drifting over Phillips from center, and he's there to make the play. Tagging at third is Ref Snyder. He scores Casas to third. It's a sacrifice fly, and it's 5-2. to two. Yeah, so that made it 5-2. That was in the bottom of the sixth. Red Sox got one more back to make it 5-3 in that inning. That came here. Uh, well, let me see here. Uh, Reese McGuire. Had the single here. This was an infield hit. Throughout this day and many, many others, a race that started some seven hours ago. The 1-1 is softly grounded on the first base side, hooking toward the line. McGuire down the line, loop gloves, tags, he dropped the ball, and Casas will score. So that made it 5-3, and then things got interesting in the bottom of the ninth. Red Sox had a couple people on. Rafi Devers had an RBI single. This made it 5-4. Rafi getting set in the box. Runners lead at first and second. Shortstop pinched near the bag, the pitch. Swing a line drive, base hit in the right field, hit very hard. Here comes Tapia to score, and the throw goes to third. That is a Verdugo to score. Tapia stopping at second, and it's five to four. Too hard, far too hard for Tapia to try to go to third base. And yeah, Red Sox had a chance uh, continuing on in that inning. Uh, Ref Snyder was retired. Yoshida popped up in the infield. That's how the game ended. I wanted really bad for Yoshida to get a game-winning knock there. He's under 200 now. And look, I told you that this could happen. I just feel bad for the guy. I mean, look at what Masataka Yoshida is going through. 
I understand we are not by nature inclined to have patience. I know not everybody has empathy and compassion. I do. I just want to see the guy have success now. Look at what Yoshida is going through. Masataki Yoshida has moved over to the entire different side of the world. So just from a personal standpoint, you are in a different place. You are in a foreign land. You are dealing with different culture. You are dealing with different food. You are dealing with a different language. That's incredibly difficult to overcome. Now, you're playing baseball in a way that you've never played before against people you've never seen, people you've never heard of. You also missed more than half of spring training because of the World Baseball Classic, and that was your decision, and I support it. But that's tough to overcome. And now you're traveling in a way you've never traveled. You're playing in weather you've never played, and everything in Japan is in a dome. This is hard. And yes, he's uh, he's hitting under 200, and some of the at-bats haven't been competitive. He's also dealing with a hamstring injury that cost him four games. I get it, and I believe by the end of the year he will have been a good player, but I just wanted him to get that game-winning knock there because that would have been huge for his confidence. It would have been absolutely huge for his confidence. It didn't happen that way. Red Sox do take three of four. It is a successful weekend. Coming off getting swept by Tampa to take three of four and rebound. That was big, right? On Friday night, you capitalized on the Angels' mistakes. On Saturday, you showed the resolve and you were able to come back and come back from the four runs down. Yesterday, you come out and you win a pitcher's duel. Good weekend that showed a lot of traits of the Red Sox. This one, they could have won. They just didn't, and now they'll welcome in the Minnesota Twins, who are a very good team here in the early going of this season. Uh, a couple of things that need to be pointed out here. Cutter Crawford gets a major brownie point here for the Red Sox. He went six and a third in relief of Bayo after the rain delay. Six and a third, one hit, no runs, no walks, five strikeouts. He gave you a chance to be in the game. That was huge. Gave you a chance to win. That was huge. And he saved your bullpen massively. You have to pull your starter in the third inning because if he's not really effective and you have the rain delay. You could have had to chew through five, six pitchers to get through the rest of that game. You only had to go through one. Cutter Crawford gets a gold star for the day. As for Bayo, disappointing. I think he'll be much better. Needs to throw more change-ups. Needs to get the fastball to move a little more down. The sinker wasn't really sinking. It just kind of moved in, and it became very, very hittable. He will be better as we go. Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Fecto Homes. UVM men's basketball gets a couple of transfers recently. We'll take you through what we know, and Aaron Deloney's going to stop by too. Brady Farkas Show is on AM 550, WDEV in Waterbury, also 96.1 FM, 98.3 in Montpelier, 101.9 in Island Bond. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, brought to you by Fecto Homes up until 7 o'clock, then Jazz with George Thomas tonight. Look forward to having that on the air for a full two hours, 7 until 9, then Eye on the World with John Batchelor. Aaron Deloney, the UVM men's basketball standout, is going to be with us here in about five minutes. Just announced his intention to return to Catamount Country, so we'll find out what went into that decision. Pulled himself out of the transfer portal. We'll get you ready for the Bruins and Panthers tonight as well. We'll do that at about 6.30. Obviously, no Red Sox game tonight. Those of you just joining us, we remind you, 
Red Sox just played, finished up losing to the Angels 5-4. So the Catamount basketball team getting some good offseason news, starting the process of refilling their roster, right? We talked about all the guys that are leaving Catamount country. Finn Sullivan graduating, Dylan Penn graduating, Robin Duncan graduating, Cam Gibson graduating. Four players leaving to graduation. George Ochoa, Perry Smith Jr. leaving to the transfer portal. That's six players that UVM had to replace. Deloney comes back, so you don't have to replace him. And now UVM has at least three commitments of their own in the transfer portal. So they have not filled all their scholarships yet. I believe there are two left, but UVM has gotten back Deloney and now has three players in the transfer portal that they have picked up. And I'll admit it, I don't know a ton about these guys. I've watched a little bit of film on some of them. I've read a lot of the commentary on guys, and I've looked at the box score numbers. I have not done a deep dive, so I'm more passing on information than I am giving you concrete facts here about at least a concrete opinion on what I see. The guy I do know a little bit about is TJ Long. We had talked about him a couple of weeks ago. He was the first guy UVM got in the transfer portal. So he comes by way of Fairfield. He was a sophomore this past year. He was the sixth man of the year in the MAC conference, not the MAC, the MAAC, the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference. He's six foot four, left handed, 10.5 points a game, three rebounds, sixth man of the year. I like that move. Right? I've watched the most film on Long. Sixth man of the year in a better league than the America East. Right there, if he can be sixth man of the year as an underclassman in a better league than the America East, then I have to assume as an upperclassman in a worse league, he can perform better. Right? That would be a fair assumption. Six foot four, he brings you some size. Still, he plays as a guard. He's not a he's not an interior player, so he's a, but he's a guard with size. Could shoot it from three a little bit. Wasn't great. I think right around thirty percent or a little under. So not a great three point shooter, but a guy that with his size and with his thickness, and I don't mean fat. He's just he's built. He's not wiry. He's not built like Deloney. He can get to the bucket. He can absorb some contact. And he can be a guy who can play on the perimeter but can get downhill and get going to the hoop. So I like the addition of TJ Long. Ten and a half points a game in the MAC as a reserve player leads me to believe he might be a guy who can be 12 to 14 in the America East as a starter. I think that would be fair expectation. That would be fair output. And if that output gets hit, that will be a win for UVM. So that's that's guy number one. Guy number two is Brenton Mills. Brenton Mills spent the last two years at Bowling Green, but he played in the America East before that, and he was an all-conference player at Binghamton, and he averaged 14 points a game in 2020 and 2021. I have not watched any film on him. I will tell you I'm generally leery of guys who have transferred more than once. That's something that I was told a while ago. Just be be leery of guys who transfer more than once. I'm not passing judgment. I don't know anything about Brenton Mills. I know I believe he was a two-time all-academic 
guy, so certainly seems like a good guy, a good guy you'd want to have in your program. He did not do much at Bowling Green, but he also has played in this league. He has averaged double figures in this league. He was at Binghamton scoring 14 a game, being third-team all-conference before Binghamton got good. Binghamton's pretty good right now under their new head coach, whose name all of a sudden escapes me. But if he was getting 14 when the program was in disrepair, I'd have to think in a program that's with it, he could be a guy who now is an upperclassman, as a fifth-year guy, could be a guy who could succeed. I'm starting to think about guys who UVM has to replace, right? You got to replace Dylan Penn. It's a guy who was probably 14 a game. Can TJ Long be that guy? Maybe. You got to replace Finn Sullivan. Do they have a guy that can replace Finn and be 14 a game? Player of the year caliber. I don't know that they have that yet. Robin Duncan, a guy who was going to get you six points a game. Do they have that? Probably. Now, all the other things Robin brought, that's hard to replace. But point production-wise, I think they got a chance. Cam Gibson, a guy between four and ten points a game. Can Brenton Mills, who I just outlined, can he be that guy? Can he be Cam Gibson? Yeah, maybe he can. Right? If he got 14 a game at Binghamton three years ago, why couldn't he get eight a game for UVM? I think it's very, very possible. The third guy is a guy from San Diego by the name of Jace Rokamore. Um, he started all 30 games at San Diego this past year, averaged six and a half points a game, three rebounds. Don't know a lot about him. I find it interesting. Another San Diego guy coming to town. Maybe Finn Sullivan had something to do with that. That's where he came from. And look, you look at it and say, oh, Rokamore only averaged five points a game at San Diego, or six points a game. I think Finn Sullivan only averaged five the year before he got to UVM at San Diego. So clearly, they were able to unlock something in Finn Sullivan. Maybe they can do the same thing in Rokamore. He started 30 games this year. He's played a lot of minutes. That to me is excellent. If you can start third, if you can go 30 starts in the Big West, I got to think you're a starter here at UVM. And you're a guy who can play well there too. I saw San Diego fans online saying that Rokamore really came on offensively at the end of the year. That's good to know as well. I will do more of my research on these guys, watch more film, tell you exactly what I see, but that's kind of some surface level stuff. Three players from the transfer portal. Deloney back. You're going to have the red-shirted guys from last year. Jackson Skipper's a guy we've heard a lot about that they're high on. Verretto coming back. And we'll see what happens with the other two scholarships they have to fill. But if you're looking for off-season UVM hoops content, that's a pretty good news right there. It was great news last week when we heard that Aaron Deloney was coming back. Aaron Deloney, the two-time America East sixth man of the year. Guy who averaged double-digit points this season. Guy who can light it up from deep in a way that nobody on this roster can. TJ Hurley will get there, but Deloney is the guy who can cook it up better than anybody. He is coming back to UVM for his fifth year. He explored the transfer portal, elects to come back to Burlington, and Aaron is with us on the phone line now. Aaron, thank you for being with us here on a Monday. How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate you being with us. You know, I read your comments to the Burlington Free Press last week about coming back to town here for the fifth year. But let's kind of go through the process again for my listeners here. You go into the transfer portal, you pull yourself out, kind of take me through the last three weeks or so. 
Yeah, you know, it's, it's been a hectic uh, last few weeks, if I could describe it in a word. But um, I kind of entered the portal. Um, like I said, a lot of people didn't know due to some family stuff. Um, I don't think people how, know how hard it is being 3,000 miles away from home for four years straight, you know, and barely getting to see your family, your grandmas, grandpas, brothers, and all that. Um, and, you know, some things happened, and I felt like I uh, needed to be there for my last year. Um had you know the offers out there but just wasn't wasn't really the case uh when talking to my family about it so um rather than you know not taking my extra year uh, uh because of the covid or going somewhere that wasn't home um i knew i had a home here and i wanted to finish out with the guys that uh, kind of took a chance on me and um you know the system that i grew up in well i hope everything is okay with the family eventually we don't have yeah, to get sure. into what's what's going on but that it was all family driven. It was nothing about wanting to play at a higher level, wanting to go deeper into the tournament, wanting a different yeah. role. It had nothing to do with that. Not at all, man. I'm a loyal guy. If you look at, you know, my resume high school, you know, I never transferred my AAU squad. I played with one my whole career and it was never, never about that. It was uh, kind of being closer and um, being able to, you know, be with them. But you know, I'm sure every transfer portal case is different. I'm sure yeah. sometimes guys will enter the portal and their original school will say, hey, if you enter the portal, you're not coming back. Exactly. I figured all along that was not going to be the case with you. You make different rules for guys that have been in the program for four years. What was kind of the conversation throughout the process with the coaching staff here at UVM as far as the door being open for you to come back? Yeah, when I initially had my uh, meeting with Coach Becker, um, you know, I kind of talked about the situation and why I was doing it, and he totally understood. He was sad about it. I was sad about it, even having the conversation. Um, and he explained, like, usually when guys enter, like, um, for most people, I feel like they enter because it's basketball stuff, you know. And for me, that wasn't the case. So he understood and was like, well, if anything happens, um, uh, we'd love to have you if, our, if we still have our scholarships intact. Um, and same with all the rest of the coaches, you know, Coach Nye and – uh, the rest of the assistants and when I was when I entered and I was home I was in the portal other schools were uh, hitting me up they were still um, recruiting me in a way like trying to get me back um, just in case that something had happened like it did so what was it like to go through the recruiting process again something you haven't done in four yeah. years I got to imagine it's, it's 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 nice for the ego to, to have all these people hitting you up and wanting I got to imagine that feels good no definitely um, it was hectic it felt like you know my senior year end of my senior year of high school all over again um and it honestly got tiring towards the end just hearing like from so many schools kind of saying like the same stuff uh over and over and saying all the cliches and hearing all the cliches um but it was definitely fun um hearing from schools that i didn't even think that i would uh, hear from you know but uh it was a really fun process and i'm glad i, I ended up here and made the best decision UVM men's basketball star Aaron Deloney coming back for his fifth year next year in Catamount country. Cats are coming off a trip to the NCAA tournament where they lost against Marquette. What do you make of just this transfer portal era in general of basketball? I mean, look, UVM has benefited from the transfer portal in the last couple of years, but we're talking about a situation where UVM has to replace more than half of its roster almost every right. year. And, you know, some schools got to replace their entire roster, essentially. What do you make of just this era of, of kind of like, you know, you said hecticness. Yeah, I, I think it's crazy for sure. There was like 2,000 kids in the portal. Um, like you said, some rosters are having to replace. I actually went on a visit, um, and one of the schools had only three three players from their previous team on the visit. So, um, you know, it's definitely different. It's a different time, but I like it in a way. Um, if kids feel the need that they need something different, uh, something new, need to be in a new situation, it's a great opportunity for them. Um, 
especially with the new rules about like not having to sit out if it's your first time and stuff like that. So I have mixed feelings about it. Um, I think other people do too, but I think, I think it's really dope to have uh, for kids in play now. You know, we just, before you came on, we're detailing some of the transfers that UVM has gotten commitments from already. Kid from Fairfield, kid from Bowling Green, another kid from San Diego. Kind of take me through the, the timeline. When do you get to meet the new guys on the team? When do things ramp up in the summer as far as trying to build that chemistry? Because it's going to have to happen quick. Yeah, for sure. Um, Every time, you know, we get a lot of transfers uh, kind of similar to uh, the year before last when uh, Finn, Cam, all those guys came over. We tried to start early as possible. And I think that's why we were so successful that year, um, getting the new guys acclimated so quickly, quickly in the summer and really hammering our principles right away so those guys could uh, <clears throat> get really acclimated into our system. Um, but the names you just named, those guys is, are, are really good. You know, I, I watched some stuff on them, um, got to meet one of them uh, when, when they came on their visit. But um, hopefully, yeah, they can they can really figure our stuff out and be a big part of our team this year. It's well documented by a lot of people, including yourself, what a good leader Robin Duncan was yeah. last year. Obviously, he's going to be gone going into next year. And this team, Coach Becker said, is your team. So how do you take that next step on the leadership ladder, something I'm sure you've been building towards? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think just learning from the guys I had before me, uh, like like you mentioned, Robin Duncan, um, when I was a freshman, Anthony Lamb and Everett Duncan, you know, were the leaders. Um, uh, ben Shungu, Ryan Davis. So I think I've had really good examples, you know, in the past. And I've kind of been in the leadership role, you know, before. So this isn't going to be my first go. It's going to be tough. But, um, you know, that's what that's what Becker was happy about me coming back for, to step in and uh, really have that leadership role and be an example for the new guys and younger guys moving forward. Let's kind of put a bow on your season. We spoke right before the NCAA tournament game against Marquette, a game that didn't go your way, and a game, frankly, that wasn't as close as we've seen some other UVM games in the tournament go. Um, what was what, what happened on that Friday afternoon? What did Marquette do so well to kind of stifle you guys? Uh, you know, I think I think we you know we played it close for a really long time. Um, they had that run in the second half where uh, one of their guys went for 18 straight, which was kind of tough, but. And I think we had a really good game playing around them. You know, we kind of did exactly what we wanted uh, to do. Uh, But their offense, you know, it speaks for itself. They were some there was something in the country. I don't remember the stat, but offensively were just a really good team. They really knew how to move the ball. They know they knew how to get their guys the ball and kind of play off them. Um, But, yeah, just like you said, it just wasn't our night as a team. And uh, I think we shot the ball great in the first half and the second half we went like one for 10 from the three-point line in the first, like, 10, 12 minutes. So, obviously, when you're not shooting it well, it's going to be tough to beat a team like that. Uh, in those type of big uh, big games, um, you got to make threes. And if they weren't going down, it was going to be hard for us to stay in that game. You know, I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head. It's interesting. You point to the second half run. I point to the end of the first half is kind of the key because I think you guys had a chance to, like, maybe be down four at the break, but it ends yeah. up being down almost 10 at the break. Was that foul call on you in transition, the worst foul call in the history of basketball? I mean, the worst call I've ever seen, the worst call I've ever been a part of. That was – it was nuts. I, I touched him maybe, but I, that shouldn't have been called. But I think that honestly kind of sparked everything. We, like, had a run going, and that happened, and all hell broke loose. You know, I've talked about this um, – 
you know, I want to see UVM get as high as a 12 seed and be the popular 12-5 upset pick, but it is possible to pull upsets from where you guys have been the last couple of years. You know, we saw Furman win this year, Fairleigh Dickinson win as a 16 seed. What has to happen for that to be you guys? Is it just luck of the draw? Is it all matchup based? Is it, you know, what has to happen for that to be you guys? Because you're clearly capable of it. Yeah, you know, I think we, you know, this year and last year, we both went into, we went into that game thinking, you know, we could really win this game. And I think that's the mindset we have to continue to have. Um, keep sticking to the game plan. Um, like you said, luck of the draw, depending on who we get. Um, but at the same time, just going into that game confident and hoping that maybe the other team will have an off night and we have a great night, you know, kind of just all depends on that. You know, when we see these like F- not FAU, but uh, Furman. FAU, yeah. Like yeah, yeah. I kind of get those wins. It's like, all right, well, the other team didn't play great, you know? So if we have, luckily have a not-so-great night from the other team, I think we could really uh, really do something here. You know, take yourselves out of this, because I know what you would say, you know, if UVM is a part of this. But just as a fan of basketball, how do you like your NCAA tournament? Do you like it where it's Duke, UNC, Kansas, Kentucky, the Blue Bloods, or do you like it all crazy like it was this year where we got – 13 seeds in the Sweet 16, St. Peter's last year into the Elite Eight. How do you like your tournament? I definitely like it uh, like that, where it's just random. You don't really know what's going to happen. You know, when you always see, like, the Duke, the UNC over and over, it's kind of like, all right, this is who we're going with. It's always a fun game. Congrats to them. But when you see teams that you're not expecting to be there, it's such, like, a different – like, you're tuned in way more, I feel like, and it's such a different uh, atmosphere and viewing, viewing type of party. Um, but I think the transfer portal, like you mentioned, has a lot of, a lot to do with that and how these teams get those type of players uh, from other places and kind of get to the tournament and make a run. So, I know everyone's supporting everyone. I heard that throughout the whole season. But is there a friendly rivalry going on right now between the UVM men and the UVM women? Uh, no, not at all. It's all love between us, all <laughs> love. Hopefully we get to do the same thing again that we that we did this, this year collectively as a team. So. Hey, I'll get you out of here on this. You're a fan of basketball. We started talking the show out about the Celtics and Hawks. Game one was on Saturday. Celtics won that game by 13. Any big takeaways from the NBA playoff weekend? You've been you've been watching any games this weekend? I have. Um, I thought, you know, I honestly thought Memphis was going to sweep the Lakers. But Ja got hurt, obviously. Uh, and the Lakers just played great. Hachimara had about 30. Austin Reeves went crazy. Um, I think I think that series and the Clippers, uh, the Clippers series will be a, a good one to watch with KD over there in Phoenix. Um, but I'm excited to see what's going to happen. I think a lot of teams got chances this year. And this might be a year where seeding doesn't really matter as much. Especially in the West. Do you like my De'Aaron Fox, Dylan Penn comparison? I always said that Dylan Penn reminded me of De'Aaron Fox. Me and Dill were actually talking about that, and he was like, that's not the first time he heard it. He was like, people have, have been saying that for a minute. Speedy lefty, nice little floater game, can get to the rack for sure. Although De'Aaron had five threes, I think, the other day. He had uh, yeah. it was reminiscent of Dylan Penn in the uh, AE's tournament there, something you weren't say, necessarily he'll, expecting. He'll, he'll start shooting that thing towards, towards the end of the season for sure. Well, I'm all in on Kings Warriors, so I'm in on that yeah. series. That's the one I'm most yeah, uh, looking sweet. forward to watching the rest of here. Game two of that one is tonight. Celtics game two tomorrow. Aaron Deloney, UVM men's basketball star. We're happy he's back for a fifth year. AD, I'm sure we'll be doing this many more times over the next several months, and we look forward to it. Yes, sir. Thanks, Brady. Absolutely. Aaron Deloney, always welcome here on the Brady Farkas Show, and welcome back here in Catamount Country. Texter says, happy Aaron Deloney returned. I am happy as well. I did not know that he was going through – Something with his family, certainly not my place to press on what that was. I hope that everything is okay. But that was his reason for entering the transfer portal.
And, you know, we had no knowledge of that. I said all along, there's there's a handful of reasons why someone answers, you know, someone enters the portal. They want to play at a higher level. They want to challenge themselves. They want to be at a spot where it's easier to get into the tournament and therefore it's easier to get a better seed and it's easier to win in the tournament. Or you want to be closer to home. And being closer to home can take on a lot of different reasons, right? You could want to be closer to home so that your family and friends could see you play. You could want to be closer to home because you've got something going on. There's a lot of different reasons somebody would want to be close to home. And Aaron Deloney said, look, man, it's not easy to be 3,000 miles away from home for four consecutive years. And that's certainly not something that I can relate to. I mean, look, my family is three hours away. And at times, that feels too far. You feel like you're not there to make a difference. And he's talking about being 3,000 miles. Aaron Deloney is from Portland, Oregon. And given the nature of what the schedule is like for these athletes, I, I don't know realistically how often he gets to go home. Right? You have the school year. Like, you're not taking... Like, the, the weekend breaks that a school gets, you're not taking those and going to Portland, Oregon. You're not. So every weekend break, you are going to, you're staying here. You're going to someone else's place that's closer that can take advantage of that. Or, you know, or that's it. So I don't know how many times Aaron Deloney's gone home in the last four or five years. Because you get a school vacation, you're on campus a lot of time. Winter break, you're playing hoop. You're not going home for Christmas break like everybody else is. Summer break, these guys got summer school. These guys got summer conditioning. These guys, I think there's like maybe maybe a month in the summer where these guys can really go home. It is hard. And I applaud him for going into the portal for those reasons, for wanting to be around his family, for wanting to be closer. I read the place that intrigued him most was Wyoming. You know, Wyoming's not a significantly better program than UVM. Bigger conference, not significantly better. So it wasn't about bigger level. It wasn't about the vanity of saying you played somewhere bigger. It wasn't about trying to get deeper into the tournament. It wasn't about a role that allowed you a chance to get to the pros. It was about being there for family. And, look, I wouldn't have looked down upon Aaron Deloney for any reason. If he wanted to leave for any reason, I would have supported him. But I really have his back when you find out it's for family reasons, and that's why he did all this, and he examined it, and he ended up coming back here, and he said, look, if I wasn't going to get right to home, I want to be where I have a home, and that is UVM. Um, Tex says, what a great dude. What a great dude. Well, I, uh, I certainly think so as well, and a good representative of the program. And someone I know we'll have on a lot more next year, for sure. And this team will, once again, be exciting to watch. Um, I was going to take a break. Let's kind of finish up my thoughts on the interview real quick. Always good stuff with AD. Um, I encourage you to go find that foul that was called on him on Twitter against Marquette. It really might be the worst call in basketball history. And I really do think it helped changed the game. If you remember, like UVM got blown out in the second half, but UVM was coming back, and I think they were down six, and 
there. They have the ball. There's maybe 30 seconds left in the half. And I think Deloney has the ball at center court. Or maybe it was Robin Duncan. But UVM has the ball at center court. They're, they're going to go for the last shot. They're going to get down three or four, go into the break with momentum. Instead, the ball gets stolen. Deloney goes in transition on defense, doesn't even touch the guy, and gets called for a foul. It really might be the worst call in the history of basketball. I encourage you to go and find that. And how about AD dropping some playoff knowledge on us there? You know, watching some hoop games, analyzing the NBA. I know those guys, I'm sure, are watching it. Um, Glad that he's going to be back in Burlington. I had a great day in Burlington yesterday, too. I actually took advantage of the day for myself, right? Monday through Saturday for me is generally work in some capacity, right? Monday through Friday is here. Saturday, I was at the Leap Energy Fair. I was there you know, for a bunch of hours all day. I did some stuff on the side that I'm working on. So Saturday, I worked all day. Yesterday, I took the day for me. I went to downtown Burlington. Beautiful day. Walked the bike path for a bit. Went out on Church Street. Ate lunch. Watched the Red Sox game at a restaurant bar. It was absolutely awesome. And uh, great day for me. And great to know that AD will be back in Burlington next year. We've got some updates on Patrice Bergeron's status tonight as the Bruins get ready for the Florida Panthers in about one hour. What do we know? What are some of the keys to the series? We'll talk about the bees. That's right, me, talking hockey. You all asked for it for the last six months. Well, here you go. Brady's talking Bruins. Coming up next on the Brady Farkas Show, brought to you by Fecto Homes on D. Your chance to be part of the show is on the text line at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Just saw, I have not read the story yet, but... uh, the breaking news is that Yellowstone, the TV show, that one with Kevin Costner that's on uh, Paramount, ending after season five, which is the season we're currently in. That's breaking news. That's that's tough. That's like one of the few new TV shows that I've actually gotten into here. Like, I am so, like, I am the sitcom king, right? For a bunch of different reasons. Sitcoms take a half an hour. They don't require a whole lot of thought. Like, if I watch movies or things with complicated plots, I'm like, what's going on? Who is that guy? Oh, that's the guy from the beginning. Well, I thought that guy was good. Oh, that guy was bad. Although they double-crossed that guy. High-level TV shows and movies are often too much for me to follow. Sitcoms are my are my speed. And I will watch the same sitcoms over and over again. I've seen every episode of Seinfeld 9,000 times. Every episode of Friends 9,000 times. Big Bang Theory 9,000 times. Like I like sitcoms, and I like sitcoms that are now older and done at this point. I'm not getting into many new things because my life is so consumed with watching sports. I don't have time to invest in new television shows. Yellowstone was one of the ones that I actually invested in. And it, and it's a high-level show that confuses the hell out of me. So I doubly like invested my time in this, and now it's going to end. I haven't read the story yet, but I don't know if it's going to be because Kevin Costner doesn't want to do it. That was the rumor that he's got too much of a schedule. His wife doesn't want him to be so busy. He's got other projects. I don't know, but nonetheless, Yellowstone apparently ending after this season five. So uh, disappointing because again, I had made so much room for it in my life tonight, less than an hour from now, seven 30, 
Bruins, Panthers, Eastern Conference playoffs, game number one. Here's what we know on Patrice Bergeron. There is an illness going around the Bruins locker room. Emily Kaplan of ESPN put out a little while ago, Patrice Bergeron, still a game-time decision. We do not know, as of right now, if Patrice Bergeron will play, and the game is 43 minutes from now. I mean, that's a huge thing. If your your top-line center, your award-winning center is not going to play, that's a huge thing. doesn't mean the Bruins can't win without Bergeron. They are good enough. They are deep enough. They sent the points record, the wins record. They could win a game without Bergeron. But having him would be far more advantageous than not. We saw in the NBA what happened. John Morant hurt. Grizzlies lose. Giannis hurt earlier. Bucks lose. One player doesn't dictate things in hockey like it does in basketball. But if Bergeron's not there, that's a significant loss. So that is a storyline that we are still watching here. As for the matchup, the Bruins clearly have the pedigree and have the resume for us to say that they're going to roll over Florida. I don't think they're going to roll. I think they're going to win this series. But this series is far more even than we'd like it to be for a first-round opponent when you've had a record-breaking season. I mean, look, the Bruins were 2-1-3 and three against Florida this season. They were not 6-0 and oh straight up. They were 2-1-3. and three. So they did not dominate this series from a record standpoint. They weren't clear in a way better and dominant in every game that they played. In the head-to-head series, the Bruins only beat the Panthers 17-15 by goal margin. Right? They played six games. The Bruins only outscored Florida by two. It wasn't like they outscored Florida by eight or outscored Florida by ten. They weren't winning all these games five to one. Okay, these were close nip tuck games that are 17-15 was the final score for the season. Bruins' power play wasn't great against Florida. It was less than 25%, 4 of 17. Florida wasn't great. They were only 3 of 15. That's 20%. So it wasn't great, but they didn't have an elite special teams unit, at least offensively, against Florida. It's going to be a more even matchup that we'd want. I mean, for a Florida team that we didn't even know the Bruins were playing until the end of the season, until the last day of the regular season, this is a team that, you know, you would like to say the Bruins can handle easily. It's not going to be easy. Do they win it in six? That's what I would say. They win it in six. Like, I think the Celtics are going to dominate Atlanta. Gentlemen sweep that series in five. I don't think it's going to be that way for the Bees. I think they're going to win it in six. And is that atypical in hockey? No. We see closer series in hockey than we do in basketball in round one. We see far more upsets in hockey than we do in basketball in round one. So winning in six is not a you know, a huge affront to who the Bruins are, but I would have liked to see, you know, I'd like to see the Bruins in a place where I could confidently say that they are gonna win it in five. Kind of for what you need to know about Florida. Matthew Kachuk is the guy who kind of makes their offense go. We had 109 points on the season. They've got a couple of different goaltenders that they'll run through here. Sergei Bobrovsky is the guy that we know the best. 
they really did split almost evenly in the regular season. Uh, Kemper and Bobrovsky, but Bobrovsky's a guy with the name that we know. We went 24-20-3, uh, had a slightly worse save percentage this year. If Bergeron doesn't play, uh, Pavel Zaka is the guy who's going to center Marshawn and Dabrowski. He was centering them at practice yesterday. Um, he had a career year offensively. He had 57 points, was an offensive force, but still not Patrice Bergeron. You know, we've talked a lot about the idea of pressure on the Bruins. And, of course, there's pressure, right? You're an aging team. You have a record-breaking season. The, the time is now to capitalize. We know that. There's pressure on the Bruins. Of course there is. I feel the Bruins are ready to meet it. I'm not worried about pressure with this team. If the Bruins lose, it's going to be because they got outplayed. It's not going to be because they weren't ready. There are some teams where you just don't think they're ready to meet the moment. That's not going to be the Bruins. They're too veteran. They're too experienced. They've been through too much. A lot of them have been through too much together. They're going to be ready to play, and they're going to be ready to deal with this pressure. I'm not worried about that. If they get beat by Florida or anyone else in these playoffs, it's going to be because they got outplayed. I don't think it's going to be because they were nervous, scared, or not ready. And that's and so I trust this team to come out and play the right way. Bad bad breaks, bad rolls, tough rebound, all that can happen. It's hockey. Okay? Hockey is crazy. Hockey is different than basketball. Okay? The bounce of the puck can decide things. But I truly think the Bruins are going to be ready for the challenge that these playoffs will bring. Marshawn has experience, right? He's won a finals. He's been to another finals. Deep playoff runs. Veteran player. He's not going to be intimidated by anything. Bergeron the same way. McAvoy has played in a finals. Okay? Krejci, the same thing. DeBrusque, the same. These players are ready for this. Pasternak, the same. They've all played in the Stanley Cup Finals. Now, they lost that one against the Blues most recently, but they've all been there. And they'll be ready to pass it on to the guys that has it. If there's one thing that would worry me about the Bruins and about pressure, I guess I would say it's the goaltending. For years, everyone did all the hand-wringing over Tuka Rask and whether or not he was elite. Well, now you have two younger, more inexperienced playoff goaltenders. If, if you're asking me to find a worry about this team, it would be the goaltending, right? Allmark a little banged up. Allmark and Swayman as a tandem, the guys that haven't been in the biggest moments for this team, Right? With Tuca, we can at least say, hey, he's been to the finals. Allmark and Swayman have it. Doesn't mean that they're not ready for the moment, but if you're asking me to find a spot to be worried about, that would be it. Right? All the guys in front of them, there's significant experience there. There's significant veteran experience. Even the guys who haven't been with the Bruins, Taylor Hall and Bertuzzi, I feel fine with them. Goaltending would be the spot where I'd be inclined to be more worried. Obviously, the goalie controls a lot of things that happen on the feet or on the ice, I should say. Excuse me. Goalie has a say in a lot of things that happen. So a bad night from your goalie, everybody else can feel comfortable. If your goalie feels pressure, 
then you're screwed. We'll see how Olmark and Swayman do. Looks like Olmark is going to be good to go tonight. That's the word on the street. And, you know, we'll find out here in 45 minutes. I don't believe that the lines have officially been put out yet. I'm going to check Emily Kaplan of ESPN one more time. She does not have anything yet at this point about the starters, about the starting line matchups, or about um, Patrice Bergeron's availability. Um I'm going to take one more look at a Bruins-specific reporter. And this is uh, Sophia Jerskovitz over at Nesson. She doesn't have anything yet either at this point. So uh, nothing official on the Bruins' lines. Texter says Bruins will win this in six. They're going to be refocused and ready for the challenge. The Panthers brought them in the regular season games. I certainly hope so. So, Bruins hockey about 45 minutes from now. And, yes, I will be watching it today. And we'll have a full recap tomorrow on the show. I told told you all along I'm going to be with you on the Bruins playoff run. So, it all starts today. So, here we go. It's the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. A couple more Red Sox-related notes from today's loss to the Angels. And the 10-year anniversary of the Boston Marathon bombing and the 10-year anniversary of of that Red Sox World Championship team. We'll get to that next on the Brady Farkas Show, brought to you by Fecto. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. I had somebody ask me at the Leap Energy Fair the other day, Brady, why don't you talk more hockey? Why don't you talk more hockey during the regular season? And I'll just I will just tell you straight up. I don't have the ability to learn everything about the league in the course of you know the time I gotta do everything else for this show. That's just that's just the reality. And I would in the past I would try to hide that and I would try to tell you I know everything. I don't. You know, I, I I've got to follow during the season, playoff baseball, Patriots, NBA, uh, UVM, high school, and sometimes you know our shows are ninety minutes or less. There's not time for everything, and I have then prioritized the things that I need to learn about in hockey. I just can't learn everything I would need to know to do to do it justice, right? The Bruins are playing Carolina on a Tuesday night. I'm not going to be able to learn everything I can about Carolina to bring you a preview. Why do I talk about it in the playoffs? Well, one, it's the playoffs. We're all watching it. But two, I can dig into a series and get the feel of a series. right? I can learn about the Florida Panthers over the course of these next four, five, six, or seven games. And if they go on to play the Maple Leafs or whoever, I can do the same thing. And I enjoy doing that. It has been it has proven too hard for me to try to learn everything I can about everything. So rather than cheat you on it, I have chosen to really focus on hockey come playoff time. And I can't tell you that that's right or wrong, but I don't want to cheat you on it. And I, that's what I told the guy at the Leap Energy Fair, that, look, I, I could talk about the Bruins, but there's a good chance you will know more about it than me if I'm doing it on November 10th or December 10th or February 10th. Come this time of year, 
I can really get invested in it, right? I'm not worried about the Patriots right now. They're not, except for the draft, the Patriots are not on my plate at this moment. UVM basketball is not really on my plate. So the things on my plate are the Red Sox, the Celtics, and the Bruins. And I can really dedicate the time needed to do it well. If we had a two-man show or we had a group of 10 producers, we could split it up and do it that way. But we don't. That's just reality. So I wish I could bring you more Bruins knowledge during the season. This is the time where I can really get it. So I'm just being to be transparent with you. There was a time in my career where I would try to lie to you and tell you that I know everything. I don't. And I'm not afraid, I'm not embarrassed anymore to admit that. I wish I could do the Bruins more justice through the course of a season. But with everything else that I have to prioritize that I already have a really good inherent knowledge on, the segments always just go that way. Now, those things aren't on the table. The Bruins are, and I'm ready for it as well. Uh, Texter wants to text me about the Cincinnati Reds. We're probably not going to get to that in the next two minutes. Uh, the Red Sox, though, we will talk about. Sox lose today to the Angels. Final score was 5-4. You heard it here on DEV. Hunter Renfro had the big blast in this one. In the top of the first, he had a three-run homer off Brian Bayo. Pitch is swung, and there's a high fly to left field, deep, back by the wall, and it is gone. Three-run homer, Hunter Renfro, just like that, the Angels have the early lead. Of course, they led 4-0 Saturday with first inning grand slam by Urshela. The Red Sox came back to win, but they didn't have Otani pitching on Saturday. Yeah, that was tough. There, Bayo went just two and two-thirds innings. Taken out early, partially for ineffectiveness, but also because of the lengthy rain delay as well. So not a good first start for him. Hard to believe 10 years since the Boston Marathon bombing. I remember being glued to my television set that night. I was living in Vermont the first time around. I was in Northfield um, working at Norwich University. Lived with a bunch of other people who worked at Norwich. We were around the television all night. It was just a chilling day, a chilling night, and a chilling memory that I think a lot of us, at least in New England, will not soon forget. Hard to believe also 10 years since those miracle Red Sox won that World Series title, a team that was picked to finish last that ended up winning the World Series and beating the Cardinals and with a team full of guys like Will Middlebrooks and Johnny Gomes and Ryan Dempster and a lot of guys you heard on radio broadcasts over the weekend. Just a magical run. And uh, I wish I had been in Vermont for good at that time. By the time the season ended and they won the World Series, I was already somewhere else at that point. My contract in Norwich was up in in the summer of that year, so I wish I had experienced it with all of you. It was a magical run. Thanks to Aaron Deloney for stopping by. The full interview available on the podcast channel, Jazz with George Thomas. is Coming up next, we'll see you tomorrow as the Red Sox get ready for the Twins on the